0: Did anybody else during that video have the realization that you're glad we didn't ask your kids to come and get behind the camera for us to ask questions, right? Because I, I feel okay with my kids now, but I know there was definitely a point in time where like, yeah, that ain't happening, right? Um, but but that, I, I love that. I do, I do want to say you guys, good morning um, and happy Mother's Day. Uh, today is a day as a culture that we set aside to, to celebrate our moms um, and, and to value them And to love them And show our support for them And, and so we just want to say As behalf of the church uh, To all the moms Who are out there today Happy Mother's Day That we love you And what you do Is so valuable And important to us I know today We have some, some moms Who aren't with us Who have gone to, to be With their moms At other churches That's where my wife And kids are today They're going to celebrate And, and, and go to church with, with Aaron's mom And go to lunch with them And I'll meet up with them uh, Later on today But we also have uh, Some moms and maybe even some daughters and some grandkids who were here with us this morning uh, to be with their mom and to celebrate them. And so we're so glad uh, that you were here and that you were here with us. Well, one of our our themes in in Ruth is is talking about uh, the providence of God and talking about the fact that there are things in this world that that don't happen by chance. That even though they may hurt, even though they may be painful, there's these moments and times that God gives us to walk through so that he can grow us and develop us and use us for his name and for his glory. And, and I say all of that before we even get into our passage of scripture this morning, because growing up in the Bradbury house, Mother's Day was always a bittersweet day for us. And I know if you're here this morning, Mother's Day may be a bittersweet day for you as, as well. I want to share my story, and, and maybe it can resonate with some of you in, in your story of, of what God's doing. But, but I grew up, and uh, I've got a mom and a dad still married together, faithfully loving each other well, who raised us and, and, and loved us. But my mom went through something in her childhood that most but some do walk through. My, mom, my mom's mother, my grandmother, passed away when my mom was 15 years old. My mom came home from a from school day at, sorry, <laughs> at Butler High School to find her mom dead on the floor from suffering from a massive heart attack. And so that was our reality growing up. We grew up in a more traditional church, and I don't know, maybe some of you, this kind of speaks your love language if, if you're, to, to the memory back of a traditional church, but on Mother's Day, all, all the moms wore corsages, and they, they had the flowers, and different color flowers stood for different colored things, and, and my mom always wore the color to acknowledge that her mom had passed on and was with the Lord. And so Mother's Day was always a bittersweet day for us. And then Aaron and I walked through our journey of infertility and miscarriage. And I knew every Mother's Day as we would be there at church and that my wife would struggle because of her desire for a child and her inability to get pregnant. And then her desire for a child and recognizing the miscarriage and the pain that she had gone through with that. And so today, as we walk through that in God's providence and God's sovereignty, I want to stand here today as we wish all these moms a happy Mother's Day, while also acknowledging that it's a tough day for some people. It's a tough day for some ladies who are in here who are struggling with infertility, who are struggling with miscarriages. And it's a struggle for some of you today because your mom's not here beside you. The she passed away this year or years ago, today can be the reminder of that. And so today as we celebrate moms, right, today we also want to acknowledge all of those who today, today's a little bit harder day than normal. And we can do both because our God is good. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the wonderful blessing of our moms. We thank you for our our moms that loved us, showed us your grace and love, taught us the truth of your scripture, took us to ball games and dance recitals and showed us what it meant to work hard and to support and to love and to care. Moms who became leaders in the home and out of the home. Moms who helped us with our homework, who become great counsel for us as parents now when we thank you for such the blessing that they are. Lord we also lift up all of those today who woke up this morning and today's a difficult day. For the lady sitting in the room who's wrestling with the concerns that she has and the struggle that she has over infertility mourning the loss of a child and miscarriage Lord we pray for your peace and your grace to fall over them Lord and may it feel fresh to them this morning we pray for all of those of us in here who, who have lost our mother maybe even some of those in here Lord who have lost a child and today is the reminder of that Lord could we be reminded of your sovereignty and your providence in our life to know that, Lord, even in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, that you haven't left us, that you haven't forsaken us. Lord, and that we can trust what your word says, that you're working all things for your good, for your glory, for your name, and for the betterment in our lives, and to grow us closer to you. And Jesus, we love you, and we praise you. In it's your name we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you today, if you'd open up to Ruth chapter 2. As you turn there, I want to share a piece of information with you uh, about something that's going to be coming up, and this is, is is scary, like we're not even in the summer yet, and we're talking about the fall, but this fall, uh, we're planning on doing uh, the 1st of September, so I guess maybe that's technically the end of summer, uh, the first weekend of September, September 2nd through the 5th, that's a holiday weekend, we're going to be doing a family mission trip all right, to Black Mountain Children's Home in North Carolina, and, and what we're going to do to, to maybe answer some questions and to walk through this and to see which of our families are going to be interested in going and being a part of that. We're going to hold an informational meeting on Sunday, June the 5th, immediately following our worship service over in building two in room 200. And so the Lord kind of uh, gave us this vision, this this, this picture for this opportunity for, for families to come together to go and serve in an area, especially in our youth ministry, that's become special to a lot of our students. And so we've been sitting down and racking our brains about what we could do, and, and God has put this together for us. Now, one of the things that if you're a family and you're thinking about this, that you'd like to be a part of this, we, we are going to limit it to to the kids who, as of next school year, will be in 5K and older, All right, and we will head off and, and, and go up there and, and have a wonderful time of serving together, of worshiping together, of fellowshipping together, and if you've been anywhere with us, you know at some point in time, we're going to have a whole lot of fun together. And so if you're interested in that, Uh, being a part of that with your family. Please come to that meeting on June the 5th, immediately following the the worship service. Now, family, that can be grandparents with their kids. We're we're looking all different ways, so don't don't think that your family doesn't meet the qualifications. Instead, we'd love for you to come and join us and to be a part of that. I know Black Mountain is a place that my family has been, I believe, the last three years, Uh, and and it's been a wonderful time of what God has done in that, and so we look forward to seeing what the Lord is going to do with all of our families, and so we would love to have you join us on that trip. Showing up to the meeting doesn't guarantee that, that you're saying and that you're committing to be a part of that. It's just an opportunity for, for you and I to sit down and have a discussion, for me to share the vision of the trip, and for you to ask questions if you have them, and so we would love for you to join us and to be a part of that meeting on Sunday, June the 5th. So we're going to continue on in our study in Ruth, and we're going to work all the way through Ruth chapter 2 this morning, we're going to talk about some areas uh, that I know have hit home with a lot of people in our congregation, and have also uh, hit home in, in my life as well. And so let's jump in. We're just going to read the first verse here this morning, and it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz, and so we've been on a long journey already in chapter one to get here, and we're going to recap a little bit of chapter one to remind us, but, but this theme that is spilled over from chapter one into chapter two is this concept of, of depression. We meet Naomi, and Naomi is suffering from depression, and when we look and see in just a moment some of the details of her, of her life, it's understandable why she is going through what she is going through. And what we have seen from chapter one and coming into chapter two is what I would like to talk about, the darkness of depression. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I know a lot of men and women and children and families that we minister to, right? Depression is a, is a real condition. It's a real battle. It's something that a lot of men, women, and children are facing and they're going through. I know for me in, in, in my life, and I've, I've shared this on, on stage, I've shared this in small groups, I've shared this in one-on-one conversation. Depression is something that I personally have gone through, that I've sought counseling through, that I've faced at multiple different points in times in my life, and by the grace of God, God's uh, uh, given me uh, the strength through his power to walk through those seasons, and God's provided me with wonderful people my, like my wife and, and, and some of you to help walk through that. And so as I'm reading through a lot of these things that we see in the life of Naomi, there's a lot of, I get that, I get that, I get that, I get that. And what we see very beginning of this chapter is the darkness of depression in the life of Naomi. All right, Naomi's got it pretty bad, all right? Just a quick little recap, if you weren't with us last week. She and her family 10 years ago had to leave their home due to famine. If you've ever been through a famine, I've never been through a famine, but as I shared last week, I went through a postage shortage about three weeks ago, right? And It was tough, right? But a famine. Her husband would die, and both of her sons would die as well. And there's lots of cultural ramifications to the fact that, that Naomi and her daughter-in-laws at the time are facing because the men of the house are, are, are dead, but even in our culture of what we see, even if you feel that as a, as, as a lady that you're, that you're strong, that you're independent, we, we can acknowledge that this 10-year battle of what they've gone through is a, is a very difficult battle. And it's affected Naomi all throughout who she is. In fact, at the end of chapter one, we read that as Naomi and her one daughter in law, Ruth, that is stuck with her, as they return back to Naomi's hometown, when Naomi sees people, she tells, Don't call me Naomi anymore because Naomi meant pleasantness. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitterness. So then, every part of who she is, she's acknowledging what I feel in my being right now is not joy, is not. It's not the grace of God. All of these things that we'll see throughout the course of this story that Naomi knows. But what she feels, what she feels is surrounding her, what she feels is there is bitterness. Now, if you've ever walked through a season or a time of depression in your life, and I can speak to this in my own life, you understand what it likes, what it feels like to be consumed by bitterness. That it's all that you know, that it's all that you feel, that it's all that you see, and it continually surrounds. You and you acknowledge that I'm no longer the person of who I am before, and this is now the individual who I am now. I described it to someone the the other day as we were talking about it, and said, You know, in my own personal journey as I've walked through this, depression causes you to see things through a lens, a lens of darkness lens that other people can kind of talk you into that it's not there, but for you, it's it's an ever real reality that's constantly before you. And depression through this lens affects everything, everything. Even the parts of your life that don't have anything to do with your root cause of depression, it affects it all. When, when When you're battling through depression, it affects every relationship every relationship you have. The relationships that are toxic, it affects. The relationships that are beneficial, it affects. The relationships of people that wanna pour into you and love you, it affects. It affects it all. It, it affects both work, home, and social life. While in our minds, in different ways, we can separate many of them into the different compartments of how we face in everyday life, when you're going through a season, when you're going through a battle with depression, what you will notice is that it affects your work life, it affects your home life, it affects your social life. There's not a hat that you can put on that causes you to step out of one area, oh, and now I'm in this area, and so I'm good. It affects it all. And depression affects you physically, mentally spiritually and emotionally it will it will break you down physically it will make you physically feel sick even if there's nothing to physically feel sick over it is mentally and it affects you mentally It causes you not to see things clearly, respond to things clearly. It it plays mind games with you and and literally adjusts and alters the way that you think and the way that you experience things. It affects you spiritually. Years ago, I heard somebody say, you just need to cry out to the Lord. And I was walking through a matter of depression. And I remember thinking, I know that, but I just don't want to. I don't want to. I know who God is. I know that he saved me. I know that I'm called by him. And I know that I love him. But I just don't want to. It begins to affect you. It affects you emotionally. The things that bring you joy don't bring you joy. The things that bring you happiness don't bring you happiness. The things that bring you peace don't bring you peace. And there's a constant war that rages within you because you know all the things that you know. You know the reality of all that is there, but yet the lens of depression just causes you to see things differently. And this has had its effect on Naomi. This is what we find here. And this is why it's important that we read the first verse and pause because this is what depression has done to her. Number one, it's caused Naomi, in the midst of all she's going through, to miss the true reality of the situation, right? If you remember back last week in chapter one, when, when Naomi hears that the famine has been lifted in her land and that she will now leave the land of Moab and return to, to her land, to Bethlehem, right? Because the famine has been lifted there. She pleads for her daughter-in-laws not to come with her, and that's not out of poor, pitiful me. It's actually one that's filled with grace in her heart because she doesn't want them to walk through what she's gonna have to walk through and return with her because in her mind, there's no hope. If you go with me, there's no hope. But if you stay here, there's hope. And, and, and for Naomi, the, 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 if she returns with them, then, then there's nothing that is waiting for them that is going to bring them out because they are just in as bad of situation as she is because for them there's no one to marry. And so Naomi says, stay behind. Don't come with me. But what we see is verse one. Naomi says that there's no redeemer for you. She, she talks to them about, like, I don't have any other boys for you to marry, right? My sons have died. Your husbands have died. If there was to be a baby in my womb, right, do you want to wait for him to grow up to be a man? Because in their culture, what they needed was a man to step in to marry them. And she said, that is not for you. Because her depression has caused her to miss the reality of the situation, Back at verse 1, now now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a man worthy of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. You see, there was. There was Boaz, a real person in the family who couldn't marry them. And so the reality was, yes, but Naomi can't see it because of the darkness that's there. And and also, what, what it creates what depression, what the darkness of depression can create is to miss the faith that you have. Naomi is a woman of God. She's a woman of faith. And and, and we might not see an overwhelming strength from this in her life right now, but she's a woman of faith nevertheless. She would have known of god's faithfulness she would experience them herself but this is what depression creates this is what depression pulls down now what depression does to us is it is it lowers in a person who's going through this right it it lowers our sense of self-worth for a person who's walking through a battle of depression they view themselves as less than And then what that begins to create in there is it also lowers the way that you believe of how God thinks about you. And so it takes all that we know, all that we believe, all of these things that that we can cling to truth and it twists a lie into them that alters every single part of your life. And it's why verse one is so significant for us to understand about the battle that Naomi's going through. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let's keep reading verse two. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose eyes I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaths after the reapers. So she came and as she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So let me explain this gleaning in the field and this is gonna be very important in chapter two. When a field is harvested, right? there's always crops that are left behind. Whether it's because they're missed or whether it's because they're dropped, there's always crops that are left behind. Now, uh, uh, years ago before I was here, I served on staff at a a church, Cedar Creek Church, and I was one of their campus pastors. And and the campus that I first served at was was right on Highway 1 in between Mineta, right, and if you're good Aiken County people, you know where Minetta is, right? And so in between Minetta and Batesburg, and that's where our church was, right? We were, we we're in the suburbs of both of those booming metropolis towns, right? We were there. And if you know that stretch of road, you know that it is filled on both sides with peaches. And I love peaches. And my grandmother said to me one day, She said, Bo, as I looked out of my office window, right across there was a field of peaches. And she asked me, of peach trees, and she asked me, she said, do you ever just walk over there and grab a peach and eat it? And I said, no. And she said, why not? And I said, that's illegal. I can't do that. And my grandmother, who grew up uh, at a different point in time, looked at me and said, well, I don't understand that. And I said, well, I don't like it, but that's still the truth. I can't do that. But it never failed. We we would watch and see out there how many peaches would fall on the ground. And we couldn't go over there and take them because they had fallen. We'd also see after the workers would come over and take the peaches off the tree, you'd still see there's some peaches on the tree. And we couldn't do it. We couldn't go over there and, and get the peaches. Right? but during this time, it was common that when there was crops that were missed, crops that were dropped, crops that were left behind, God commanded in his people to take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. And so a common practice that they had was after the the reapers had left the field, the widows, the orphans, and the poor would come and they would collect those, the crops that had fallen, the crops that were left. In fact, in, in Leviticus 19, God instructs his people, to only harvest the vineyards once, to not harvest them a second time, and instead to allow the widows, the orphans, and the poor to come and follow them the second time to pick the grapes. And so that's what Ruth sets out to do. Now think about this. Ruth and Naomi are basically in the same situation. In Ruth's covenant commitment to Naomi, she says that she's going to go where she's going to go, that she's not going to leave her or forsake her, that she's going to stay with her, that she's going to cling to her is what the Bible says. But then also Ruth takes it a step farther and says, where you die, I will die. And so we see this commitment that's there. We see this bond that's there. And so here you've got Naomi who's struggling in darkness, but we're going to see Ruth walking in light. And so also this morning I want to talk about the the light of faithfulness and what we see in in Ruth's life and what this can mean. You know, we we see the the fruit of the light of faithfulness in the life life of Ruth in several ways. The, the, The first way is that Ruth thought of others. Ruth thought of others. Naomi is depressed and defeated. And if you've ever been there, you know how hard it is to put one foot in front of the other. You know how hard it can be to get out of bed. You know how hard it can be to do the things that you need to do on a day in and day out basis and that's where Naomi is. And what I love about Ruth is who Ruth is, is not a person that wants to kick her or force her. She's not the person that wants to yell at her because where she's at. Ruth says, well then I'll go. I'll provide. And She goes. So she thought of others. A characteristic of of Ruth that we're reminded about in the light of faithfulness is that Ruth chose humility over entitlement. Right? Ruth, in in the verse that that we see here, it says that, that she prayed that she would be able to glean. So she sought the Lord in that. She doesn't presume the right, even though this was custom. And instead, she, she asks for permission of what she could do. She doesn't even show up with an attitude of, what can you do for me? But instead, her attitude is, what can I do for myself? And what can I do for others? And this is what we see in the, in the difference as she's walking in the light of faithfulness. It's keeping the mindset off of her praying to the Lord that the Lord would, would guide her, presuming, not presuming the right, but asking for favor and to care for others. And in this we see that, that Ruth showed perseverance. When the report comes back to Boaz of who she is, basically what the workers say is she's been doing this all day. All day she's been out here gleaning in the fields, Right? And then when we'll see just in a little bit in verse 17, it says that um, at the end of the day, when she was done doing all of the gleaning, all of the picking, all of the harvesting that was left for her to be able to do, that she went through the process of, of cleaning and processing the grain. Right? That we see this huge perseverance in her life. But I think most importantly what we see is Ruth's faith, in God's providence. Look back at verses two and three. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose uh, sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Ruth didn't know who Boaz was, and she ended up in his field. Proverbs 16.9 tells us that a man plans A man's mind plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And thinking through in our journeys of life of where we find ourselves and where we go, the truth of Scripture, the truth of what we see here in the life of Ruth is that as we are going about, that we can trust and know of what we are doing, that as our mind plans our ways, the Lord directs our steps in this. This isn't chance, this isn't luck. It's the providence of God in the life of Ruth. That what she's going through, what she's facing, what she's faced is there for a purpose and for a reason. And and all throughout this, we're gonna see the nuggets of this wonderful truth until it comes together beautifully for us and for all of humanity in Ruth chapter four. Of what is happening and what is taking place in this but that we can know and that we can trust that what the the mess you're going through, the battle that you're facing, the darkness that seems to be there, the rut that you find yourself in, you're not there by chance. You're there by the providence of God. For God to use it to grow you, to grow others. Look at verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen my daughter do not do not go to glean in another field or leave this one but keep close to my young women let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them i have not charged i, I have not charged the young men not to touch you and when you are thirsty when you are thirsty go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. In verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord for the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes. My Lord has comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaths and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until that evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned It was about an ephah of barley. And so we meet Boaz here. Boaz, the relative of Elimelech that qualifies as this kinsman redeemer who can come and marry Ruth to continue on and support her. We see here that he's wealthy, but most importantly, we see that he is godly. And Boaz approaches Ruth. He shows her kindness. He shows her protection, He shows her favor. And in verse 10, Ruth asks him a question. She says to him, what have I done to deserve this kindness? This is a very important question. Ruth says to him, what have I done? Of who am I, a foreigner who is now in your homeland? What have I done to to experience this overwhelming kindness that you have given to me? And and Boaz answers and he says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law, all that you've sacrificed, he tells her, I've heard and I know about this. But then he says this, he says, it's the Lord who's repaying you. It's the Lord who's blessing you. Look at verse 12. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then I underline this if you're an underliner in your Bible, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, there's something more than what you've done for your mother-in-law. There's something more than you getting up and to go work into the fields. There's something more than all of these actions can show in their isolated incident. There's something more. And, And the something more is the God of Israel who you have proclaimed as your God under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see, for Ruth, she needed refuge in this life. If she was going to survive, She needed to find protection. She needed to find comfort. She needed to find peace. And she didn't seek that in Naomi. She didn't seek that in her family. She didn't seek that in her husband. And in no earthly pursuit does she seek that, nor could it be found. But what Boaz says here is she sought her refuge in God. Through her faith. Our refuge in the Lord. Our refuge in him. Our refuge in God. It's the command of Christ for our lives. Of where we find our security, of where we find our peace, of where we find our hope. Ruth finds her joy in God, not in her circumstances. Youth finds her protection in God, not in her circumstances. Ruth finds her favor in God and not in her circumstances or not from another. Ruth, not at one point in time in this story as we've gone through, does she do what is logical. Not one time. She should have stayed. She should have got up that morning and thought for herself, She should have gone out based off of culture and tradition and tried to go out there where she can set herself to find a husband. But she does none of those things. And instead, what she does is what is godly. Instead, she does what is right. And she seeks her refuge in Him and in Him alone that God will provide, that God will care, that God will lead. And that's what God does. And it's not found in her works. You see, it's found in her faith. And this is going to affect Naomi. We'll close and look at verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So let's kind of pause here for for just a second, then we'll finish reading so Ruth, who they're hoping to, to, to get just enough to get them through the day, may be blessed enough to get enough to go through the week. Ruth comes back with more than enough. Ruth comes back with an abundance. Ruth comes back of what she has taken, but also what's been given to her. And she comes back with a meal that's been prepared. Enough of what scripture tells us that it filled Ruth, and enough for Naomi. So you can imagine, right? Naomi sees this coming down the street and this picture of blessing that's approaching her. In verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter in law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, if I'm Ruth in this moment, I'm like, Oh, well, time out, right? Let's get some things straight. Verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this young, with, with, with his young women, lest in another field you will be assaulted." So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning till the end of barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so what we see in this is this hope that begins to creep in into the world and into the life of Naomi. And the instrument that God is using is Ruth. Is Ruth. Those whose lives should be at the bottom as well. And I love Ruth's response. Ruth doesn't walk into the house and say, get over yourself. Ruth doesn't walk into the house and say, what's wrong with you? Even when Naomi confesses, oh yeah, that's Boaz, right? I know I told you there's no one, but yep, today, guess what? There is someone, he's Boaz, he's godly, he's wealthy, go hang out there, right? Never at one point in time is the heart of Ruth filled with the bitterness to come back. And instead, there was the hope and the joy. And look at the contagiousness of the faith. Look back at verse 20, Naomi's response. May he be blessed by the Lord. And then this is big. Whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Pause here for just a second. Just in that moment, Naomi's saying, through the famine and through the death of her husband and the death of her sons. Not only has the Lord been good to Ruth, not only has the Lord been good to Naomi, but the Lord's been good to them all because it's who he is. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. The 180 done here by Naomi, the reminder of hope is what Ruth gives her. You know, they're on the same journey. They're on the same process of life. And Ruth doesn't come to her with a quick fix, with a lesson to be learned, or a five-step process of how to get better. She loves her. She cares for her. She doesn't abandon her. And she reminds her of the faithfulness of God. I don't know, maybe you feel like you're Naomi right now. Maybe right now you're married to someone who feels like Naomi. And you say, I've done it all. What more is there to do? Be Ruth. Be Ruth. Go through it with them and remind them of the hope and the faithfulness of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, I come to you this morning And I thank you for the beauty of this story. A story that was not created by man for literature's sake, but a story of real people who walked on this earth and who went through the battles that so many of us, if not all of us, will face. Lord, I lift up the people in this room who are in a season of life that can identify with Naomi. They know all the truth of your word. They know your power. They know your faithfulness. They know your promises. But yet, Lord, they find themselves living in a darkness of depression. They feel like they can't escape. Lord we know that you haven't left them and Lord remind them even in the midst of the difficulty of yesterday today and what tomorrow may hold you are in control and that you have a plan would I pray for the rest of us in here people who by our words say that we are men and women of faith or could we look at the faith of Ruth and be that bit of encouragement that reminder that example of your goodness and your kindness and mercy Lord, I thank you for the peace of what we see in this, in the reminder of the gospel. Lord, that Ruth found her favor in you, not because of a commitment that she made, not because of a sacrifice that she made but because, Lord, she found her refuge under your wings. Lord, I pray this morning for whatever battles we may face, we would cling to you and you alone. Jesus Christ as our Savior.